0: Welcome to Deep Breath In, a podcast for GPs brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we talk about the everyday challenges of being a GP. In this episode, we're going to be talking about some of those things that make GPs want to stay in the profession and things that make it easier to come back to work after a long break. We'll hear from two sets of GPs we met at the RCGP Wonka Conference who are trying to make our working lives easier. I'm Tom Nolan, I'm a GP and the clinical editor for the BMJ. And joining me as ever, we have Jenny and Navjoit. Hi Jenny.
1: Hi, I'm Jenny Rasanathan. I'm a family medicine doctor and clinical editor for the BMJ, and it's so nice to be back.
0: You think it it's great to yeah, we've missed you, but you're so you you were in New Zealand. Are you are you you don't have to talk to everybody about your your events, but you're back in the US?
1: Yeah, so I was in New Zealand. My family is now moving to Europe and I'm currently recording live from a broom closet in Michigan. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh and uh, Navjot, you're back as well, my my buddy from the the conference.
2: Yeah, I'm back. I'm not I haven't changed location. I'm still in in Bermondsey, <laughs> in South London. But <laughs> hi, everybody. I'm Navjot Larder. I'm a clinical editor at the BMJ and a locum GP in London.
0: So yeah, so we're going to talk a bit more about the conference because we did you know recorded quite a few interviews there. So we're, we're using those up <laughs> in our episodes, uh, and we've spoken to yeah two groups of of GPs who you know it's, I guess it's hard for everyone. I guess we we're going to start this episode today by once again and maybe at the risk of doing this too often but just um noting how difficult it is at the moment in general practice and you know we're seeing tweets from people saying about you know 100 plus contacts a day plus the the regular stuff um it's not really getting any better is it uh
2: No. And I think the thing is, is often you see a little bit of a downturn in summer. So that gives you a bit of respite, a bit of breathing space, a chance to kind of catch up and get on top of things as much as that is possible. And I think it doesn't seem to be happening at the moment. The pressure seems to be coming on even more, I think, particularly in, with staff shortages as well, um, as well as the, the usual clinical demand and, and sort of request for appointments. So it is a bit worrying, I think, the fact that, you know, usually this would be a time of year when you might
1: see a bit of a slowdown. I'm curious how much you guys are in general practice in the UK right now, seeing COVID and COVID related concerns as well, because that's a whole other layer with cases rising, correct?
0: Yeah, um, I'd certainly seen. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing that many sessions at the moment. I feel guilty about that, but um, certainly lots of positive PCR uh, or tests coming through on the results, and then a few calls from patients. And yeah, I, I think there's one person in particular I remember was 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 very sick, um, which I hadn't seen for several months. So definitely a wave, and that affects us all, doesn't it? but I guess we don't get the brunt of it. I don't feel like GP get quite the brunt of it that the hospitals get.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm seeing a bit or have seen a bit, but a lot of it is other stuff as well, like everything else. And a lot of people who are waiting for hospital appointments, uh, surgery, that that seems to be an issue right now. Um, There's just a lot of a lot happening at the moment, it seems like. Um, But yeah, definitely a bit of
1: COVID for sure. That a lot of a lot is definitely how I would describe general practice in New Zealand (laughs) right now. It's just so many issues with so many things. Um, You know, it's it's the delayed wait times to see specialists still due to COVID-related backlogs. Mm
2: -hmm. It's
1: the kind of continuing new problems. It's COVID. It's other respiratory infections. It's, I mean, of course, it's winter in New Zealand right now, but- it's all of those things it's a lot of a lot
0: mm. did you come up with that yourself tried, or Is that a phrase you've stolen from instagram or somewhere
1: <laughs> i mean i just said it now yeah. it wasn't it's was just like <laughs> hashtag a lot of a lot
2: i didn't feel particularly creative but i'm happy to take credit for it because i don't think i've stolen it from anywhere else
0: very very impressive um
2: put it on a t-shirt
0: yeah. <laughs> So, I, so I'm following all this, of course, nationally and and from colleagues and friends as well. But um, I feel a bit guilty because where I'm working at the moment is no certainly not as busy as a lot of the places that we're hearing of, and uh, I do feel guilty for that. I wonder if I need to to, to be working in in the places where the greater need is because um, where I am is relatively well off and um, with with good provision of, of care. So,
1: well, and I just wanted to highlight as well that. I think shortages in other cadres of healthcare workers matter as well for the kind of overall workload. Um, As an example, we haven't had a nurse in our practice in New Zealand since before I joined the team. Um, So things like smear tests fall to me, which I personally enjoy doing. I don't have a problem with that, but I think, you know, there are all these knock-on effects of... Other shortages in admin staff, in nurses, in healthcare assistants and all these things. And so I do think that there's kind of this complexity there to how shortages in different team members, geographic distribution uh, matter in terms of your actual experience as a GP.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I guess the UK system at the moment is over the last probably five or 10 years has changed a lot so that We've got so many more non-GP members of the team who do a lot of work.
2: Yeah, I mean, that seems to be have been a response to the shortage of GPs as one of the solutions is to have um, allied health professionals working in primary care. So we have more pharmacists, more physiotherapists, nurses. Um, and I think if you speak to... It sort of makes a lot of sense to have that. If you speak to... Um, GPs I think the experience varies there's still a lot of kind of training and oversight that's needed some up front um, but that that definitely seems to be the direction of travel at the moment. Yeah. So we're recording this in the week that we've just seen the Health Select Committee in um, the UK publish uh, their report on workforce, medical workforce, uh, or work healthcare workforce. And th- there was some interesting stuff in there about, um, general practice. I mean, it was pretty scathing in general about, you know, what it perceives as government failure to act decisively, uh, on this and to sort of really engage with the scale of shortage that we're seeing, you know, in doctors and nurses, midwives, um, across healthcare sector. And, um, and people GPs in the UK will remember that you know the promises of a kind of magic GP uh, production line that would produce uh, 5 or 6000 extra 6000 actually additional full time equivalent GPs that was promised um in this government's uh, manifesto at the last general election but actually what's happened is the NHS has lost 717 full time equivalent GPs between March 2019 and March 2022 so that that level of understaffing rather than getting better is, is getting worse. Um, and so it, it's a real issue, and it's sort of compounded by the fact that there's a, you know, the health actually the report says the most depressing for many on the front line is the absence of any credible strategy to address it. It's time to stop photographing the problem and deal with it. So this is all rather worrying, <laughs> um, you know, this, uh, I mean, it, it feels like that a report like that using language like that would hopefully be a jolt and a sort of wake up call, um, because coupled with, you know, Tom, you mentioned right at the beginning that we're seeing lots of reports on Twitter about um, how pressured it is at the moment. Um, we know that there is a shortage. You just think, well, who, who would want to go into it or who would want to stay um, if, if it looks so bleak? So, I'm interested to hear the interviews that we have today because I think they highlight something really important, I think, which is about how to make general practice flexible and attractive to some key groups of people I mean and I think that's kind of one of the big things for addressing workforce shortages Is we have to really be thinking about um, not only addressing these issues around capacity and having kind of honest conversations with patients about what we can actually do but then also about how do we make this a job that people want to do and um, the, create the conditions in which people can do their job well
1: that is so important. I can't wait to hear the interviews, because as you say, Navjoy, retention is so important. People have to feel engaged and valued in order to want to stay.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that makes us th- decide on, I know which one to go to first then, because uh, we've got we've got two interviews with, um, with two different groups. Like I said, at the start, we've got um, this early year or first five GPs. and Navjoy, you spoke to some Of them um but also at the conference um I was just walking down the you know the poster aisle which is like where you go when you're kind of got no one to talk to and you feel a bit (laughs) a bit tired uh and I I met one of the the poster presenters there and she'd done a a really interesting and really nice bit of work for people who have been off um you know taking a year out I guess that's commonly with maternity leave but not not always um and that's it's about that um what you just said, Jenny, about being feeling valued and you know actually enjoying and, and, and enjoying the job. So we should have a listen to that. But but that, should we just note how difficult it is first to, to go back after a year or any time out, even like six weeks out or something, even even a summer holiday? But uh, well, I, I've I've had a, I remember having a year out and it was really really tough to go back in. Um, and something like what we're about to hear would have been very useful. So let's that, hear from Pamela Curtis. And that's coming up after this from our sponsor.
3: When you're a GP, you're not just nine to five. Being a GP is part of who you are, whatever the time of day. So when it comes to your indemnity, you need someone you can turn to at any time. Medical protection is always here for you, with expert medico-legal advice, including 24-7 in an emergency. We don't just cover patient claims, we're also here to provide support and legal representation when it comes to GMC inquiries, coroner inquests, criminal investigations, and more. Online, we offer risk prevention courses and webinars to keep you up to date with current news, risks, and legislation. We also go the extra mile when it comes to your well-being, With a free counseling service and e-care app, we're helping members take positive steps to better mental and physical health. It's the protection your career deserves, all in one place. And if you're about to qualify or have recently qualified, we can help you take the next step in your career with savings on membership for newly qualified GPs. To find out more, visit medicalprotection.org.
0: So let's return to that interview with Pamela Curtis. Um, if you tell me, if you just say your name and like where you work and I'll just ask good.
4: So I'm Dr. Pamela Curtis. I'm a salaried GP that works in BNSSG, which is Bristol, North Somerset and South Gloucester.
0: Excellent. And we're obviously at the, you can hear by the background noise, we're at the RCGP conference. How, how's it going so far?
4: It's great. Yeah, lots of people here, really exciting and lots of good plenary um, and Having a lot of fun meeting yeah, people.
0: Yeah. So yes, yeah, so while I was wandering around the poster exhibits, and you were you were here by your poster. what what tell us about the poster, and how, maybe how you, what led you to to think of this interesting idea?
4: Um, so I, I am a salary GP that went off on maternity leave a, a couple of times, um, and I came sort of very aware that actually coming back as a qualified GP into normal practice. There wasn't that much support available um, in comparison to trainees who have sort of the support um, scheme. Mm. Um, so I thought actually this is a, an area which is lacking, and actually we could um, put input some something to try and increase their confidence levels and support.
0: And did, yeah. is that something you, you felt yourself that? Was, what was it like going, going back after after that yourself? What was your experience?
4: I think it's it's challenging um, when you've been out of work for any period of time. So I was just speaking to a colleague, um, stood, stood by the poster, who said even after a few weeks off as a GP, sometimes it can feel a bit mm. um, overwhelming to come back. So if you've been off for sort of over a year, yeah. actually you, you do wonder, you know, are you a bit rusty? Are, is there um, anything? And anxieties that were voiced by sort of people... Um, that we, we spoke to as part of this project were saying actually there were structural changes that they had because of COVID um, and coping with sort of a busy GP day when actually you've also got um, a very busy home life yeah. and things can be quite draining and juggling small children and work um, and leaving work on time for nursery pickup and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and also just really that basic knowledge deficit potentially um, and forgotten things because they've been off.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. So hard, isn't it? And um, Well, tell us what you did. What was your uh, idea? What have you presented um, in this poster?
4: So this project, I had a fellowship with uh, our local training hub, so BNSSG training hub for a year. And my idea really was to in- try and increase support um, to GPs re- returning um, and, and therefore their confidence levels. So we did three things, which were return to work courses, um, a guidance checklist, which went out to... Um, we gave to the GPs that had been on the course but also went to the local practices and practice managers and we also discussed with sort of the local LMC the content of that to, to get their sort of stamp of approval for it um, and also then peer support not only on the course but also um, sometimes people linking up after the course um, through online meetings.
0: In the feedback you've got here on, the, the result, on your results, your, some some quotes from people who've, who've been on the course, yeah, saying...
4: So, yeah, they, they found it really good. So I guess going back to that original yeah. statement, we were saying it's really nice to be face-to-face here and be able to network, but actually for particularly the mums that were coming back from maternity leave, mm-hmm. actually being able to have this virtual, which both courses were run during the COVID pandemic, they actually found it really, really helpful because they could then have their baby with them on the course for, for parts right. of it. Um, they found it very interactive just by, by the means of um, the technology that, that we used, using polls and actually keeping everyone involved with the, with the content as we were going along. Um, and also then that actually we didn't have anything too long in, in, t- in terms of session length. Um, we also on the second course did a communication skills aspect which had a uh, educator, an actor and the GP that was returning in breakout rooms okay. um, which then meant that they could actually practice doing a consultation as if, as if they were and get feedback on their right. consultation
0: skills. But should we be as should partners, should the GP profession be more flexible around You know, why, why does a session have to be four hours 10 and from two till six or, or yeah whatever, you know when you've got somebody an excellent gp who needs to be there for a school pickup for instance like is, so are I, we I, being good enough for this. Yeah, yeah
4: i don't know um, our, our, my practice um actually is really facilitating that so not me personally but we do have um some gps who start a bit later so they can do the do the school drop off and yeah. uh, you know finish earlier so they just they still do the same hours but they're they're sort of flexing their yeah. start time and finish time to to work with their childcare. yeah
0: so it's within our power isn't it to do it i yeah. suppose we i yeah. guess
4: it's discussion discussion with your practice yes, and, ch- and ch- seeing, yeah.
0: of your ne- negotiation skills i, I suppose and some, and some times. Um, one other thing just completely separate things so i'm trying to ask everybody well are you still enjoying general practice <laughs> <laughs> um
4: yes uh, although i think as everyone would say at the moment workload yeah. is is a bit of an issue um, and that's just demand um, yeah. So, yeah. I a, so I have a I portf- have a slightly portfolio career that I do some training um some TPD in Somerset as well and okay. that has a nice variety of, to my week and I think actually I do a bit of medical students and they're really enthusiastic so yeah. if you can get something slightly different alongside the clinical day job that it yes. can help sort of give you a bit more um, enthusiasm bit, with your week.
1: That was so good to hear from Pamela about this, and I have so many responses to that in the first <laughs> one, the first place. Like, how amazing that they started this project to, you know, in recognition of a real kind of need for people. So I've taken time away from clinical practice a couple times during my career, first to get a degree in public health and then during my international moves when I haven't, I've been in the process of registering to practice and it was a very steep learning curve (laughs) coming back and unique for me because I've worked in several different countries and in several different healthcare systems, but how amazing to have that structure which recognizes that you are more than your clinical practice, that you are a whole person, that you're, that it's acceptable in some ways to do other things, whether it's per- parenting, whether it's moving, whether it's different training, and then to be welcomed back so warmly, I think that's amazing. Um also just to comment it's incredible that people have this flexibility in terms of the length of time they're allowed for parental leave. Certainly that is one thing that we do not have in the United States uh, New Zealand does a little bit better but you know I have I have a friend who just recently had a baby and she was you know people it's a really common story in the United States to cobble together like your eight weeks of leave that you're allowed for the entire year plus four weeks of unpaid leave or you know, different combinations of things for a maximum of three to four months off after having a baby. So incredible. <laughs> Sorry, I have so much to say. And then the session intervals, the session length, I think is such an important factor as well. Um, you know, I was working in a public health job when I had my kids and I was nursing, but you know, it's pretty tough to go more than four hours between pumping sessions if you're nursing. And sometimes, you know, we've all been there. We've had sessions that run over. We don't get a lunch break. You know, when you're left, when you, when you end up squeezing your morning and afternoon sessions together, I think it's really important to have that flexibility where you can have space and time to pump, to continue your breastfeeding if that's what you're doing. And lastly, <laughs> just in response to that, um, I would say, you know, flexible start and end times is such a small thing. In some ways but it makes such a huge difference um, and i had the benefit of having a flexible start time when i was working in new zealand and it allowed me to drop my kids off and it just meant that i could join the workforce and participate in a way that i otherwise wouldn't have been able to and it doesn't necessarily matter to patients because they are able to accommodate different times and people have different choices around appointment times and as long as you do the same number of appointments. You're not taking away from the level of care that you're providing. Um, So, yeah, enthusiastic thumbs up for me. I think it's so important to have these types of programs and connections in order to feel really engaged in the work and valued. You know, um, again, there are these kind of small changes that don't actually make that big of a difference, but which we've been reluctant, I think, to make. And doing those things just allows people to stay in this world, to feel valued and recognized for their life circumstance, whether that's being out for parental leave or for any other reason. Um, and then, you know, kind of still staying with it and, and you know, uh, making it more sustainable, I think, for people, making it more attractive in the long term.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think, I think these things can go a really long way. At, at, you know, feeling appreciated can just completely change your complexion of you know how you feel at work even if the work is tough and hard I think feeling valued can give you a kind of I don't know sort of renewed source of energy or motivation to get at it and when you're not sort of just feeling dumped on all the time um and it's it sort of links to the next interview uh, which I'll try and seamlessly go into because that theme of engagement is kind of what what this next bit is all about really um so another person I met um at the RCGP Wonka conference similarly like you Tom when I was sort of strolling around looking at posters uh, by myself <laughs> um I bumped into Vina Agrawal who is um A sustainability fellow with NHS England and also a GP trainee and um, she has been working with others on something called the Big GP Consultation which is a platform for GP trainees and early career GPs to collectively discuss their vision for general practice and how they can shape this future locally regionally and nationally which I just was so struck by just that um I guess thinking from my, with my editorial hat on as well, when we think about covering general practice and primary care, it's often the same old kind of, policy lead voices that we turn to. So, you know, the presidents of royal colleges, um, the senior leaders within the kind of key organisations, the think tanks. And actually, one voice that I worry that we're not hearing from very much are the early career GPs and GP trainees who are, you know, the future of the profession. And I think it's, you know, I was really impressed that there was this initiative to try and engage those views. And um, I think, I, 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 yeah, it's really interesting, and I think there are some interesting um, things that came through this uh, exercise that they run, this this uh, discussion, which is ongoing um still. So why don't we take a listen?
3: Thank you. I'm Vina,
4: and I'm a GP trainee in West London. Hi, I'm Davina. I'm a
5: GP trainee in South East London.
6: Hello, I'm Liam. I'm a GP trainee based in Cambridge.
5: Hi, I'm Rachel and I'm also a GP trainee based in Cambridge.
6: So we've been part of a piece of work called the Big GP Consultation, and what that aims to do is twofold. Firstly, it recognizes that the next generation of GPs, so GP trainees and first five GPs, are very interested in the future, but quite often don't have the space to discuss what that future looks like. So we wanted to bring them together and give them that space to do so. But secondly, we also recognize that they have incredible insight and ideas into how we can build that positive future of general practice Um, so the second aim was really to try and take all of those ideas put them together in one place and then have discussions with the people who can pull the levers to make that future happen so that's what we've been doing over the past sort of six months or so now
2: okay and so what um so through doing that work what are some of the kind of key things that you found or that you sort of noted as you were doing it
4: We found some really great ideas about how training can be improved, about how um, GP training and can be modernized to fit the challenges of 2022, as opposed to in the past. And people wanted a lot of support. They wanted coaching and mentoring and peer support to cope with the challenges. They wanted teaching on social determinants of health, on health inequalities, on climate change and health, and how to practice more sustainably. They wanted training on leadership and management, and they wanted to be more involved in shaping the future. There were so many ideas that came out of the consultation. I can't talk about all of them today because that would take a long time, but we have got some reports on our website, which anybody's able to see, the thebiggpconsultation.co.uk. Okay. Well, I mean, that's it's one of the challenges, isn't it, is how to
2: engage, I mean, the profession as a whole. But I think particularly one of the things we were just talking about is how often those big policy conversations can be sort of steered and shaped by very senior GPs and may not represent the kind of breadth, um, particularly the kind of, you know, in terms of seniority and age. So what do you think are some of the ways of kind of harnessing what you've learned that might, and the implications for, I guess, the wider sphere, if you like?
5: So we've learned an awful lot, um, not surprisingly, because as soon as you talk to trainees about what their future should look like, they've got a lot of ideas about it. What's been really good about this journey is how engaged our leaders have been from the RCGP to the Fuller Inquiry to HEE. People have really wanted to listen and they have come back again and again. They've gone to our reports. They've come back to talk to us. They've used quotes. They are really interested in actually saying, OK, we, we have a really big group of GPs out there, our partners, our our leaders, but actually our future workforce, they're down at the ground. And we must make sure that we really listen to what they need now to train, but also how we then keep them in the system so that they can be the GPs of the future. And I'm actually really impressed that our leaders have listened and they are engaging.
2: Oh, that's great. And what are some of the sort of big topics do you think that have emerged from this process?
6: Um, I guess that's almost twofold so firstly is what we've learned from the process of doing this and as Rachel just talked about the reason I think this work has got so much traction is because we've actually gone out there to the people who are the next generation who, who are working on the ground and said what is it like for you right now and what is a positive future that we could all work towards so actually having the backing of the hundreds of trainees and first five GPs that we've engaged has been incredible and I think has been one of the main reasons why it has has got so much traction. Um, secondly would be some of the specific findings which as as Venus mentioned we go into some detail within our reports it covers the breadth of what general practice is all about everything from what we need to train to be the the future workforce and to deal with the modern day challenges of being a GP right the way through to what we need to retain that and do so in a sustainable way that we can do for the rest of our career and also consider some of the the wider picture as well so okay what what is it we need to be a at PCN level and at ICS level, for example. Um, So I would say, as Vida said earlier, it'd be really worth having a look at those reports and really honing in on the areas you're interested in, given that we've covered so much in the consultation so far.
5: Okay. And just to add to that, it's such a pivotal time to um, have this platform because we're talking about the reformation of general practice right now. The Health and Social Care Bill is going through this RCGP Conference and Wonka Europe combined, and we're learning from different countries around us and their models of general practice, and they're looking at their views of the future of general practice. So it's um, a pivotal time to have this platform. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really important is the legacy. So this isn't just a flash in the pan, this isn't just a trainees have got a voice now trainees have always had a voice and they should continue to have a voice and it's how that voice is harnessed. So talking to national leaders is great but we're also talking at regional level as well and saying to current CCGs but also ICSs actually when you want to find out about general practice going to partners and and etc is important but have you spoken to your trainees? Mm. Have you used your VTSs? What is the training hub doing? You must make sure that you continue to use this voice and so it's really important for us that we go in, we make sure regions are aware of this work, but then they take it forward at their own levels to make sure they engage the people on the the ground.
2: So, don't you feel energized having listened to them um, talking? They're very—they they were really great to talk to. They were so kind of passionate, um, and they've done all this work. And there's actually a wealth of information um, on their website about the kind of stuff um, they've been doing. So, um, the you know they've prepared these infographics based on um, on different topics. So, preparing uh, the next generation of GPS ideas about things that could. Um, Improve, improve training. Um, you know, apprenticeship-style training, uh, flexible training, um, it, reforming the exams, uh, exposure to different types of training types. There's another report that's all about um, burnout, preventing burnout. There's another report all about um, integrated care systems, which is a big topic in the UK, um, and so. Uh, there's there's another big uh, theme which is about uh, recruitment and retention of our workforce. So there's so so really it's just a great uh, an opportunity to capture all these kind of ideas and sort of harness them in a way that they then try to use to influence policy conversations, which um, I think is really impressive. And it's one of the things we have spoken about before, which is how to make sure that the Views and experiences of frontline doctors are captured um, by those shaping policy, and here's here's one example of it.
0: So I thought that was a really good point about you know speaking to everyone, not just the partners or you know those the, the usual suspects, if you like. Yeah, uh, you know, I've been on the LMC, the lo- lo- local medical committee in in for, for many years, and I was at least, and you know it was it was almost all partners there who who were on the committee and actually those who were most vocal were partners too. And it always felt that in that case, I'm not generalising here, of course, but, um, you know, there, there maybe was a problem of representation. And I think you probably see that, you probably see that everywhere, don't you, in life? And we've talked about that in, 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 other, in other contexts. But uh, that was a really good point. Um, I Another thing that struck me, going back to the last interview and Jenny, what you were saying, um, you know, I guess coming into today's episode i was obviously looking for the magic bullet or the one or two big headlines that's going to save general practice but but maybe it's just these small things and it's you know those personal relationships you have or professional relationships you have perhaps with colleagues and you know how to make make people's jobs more or people feel more valued on a very individual level um and we're always looking beyond that you know what can we change what can the government do? But maybe the question is, what can I do with these two or three people who I work closely with?
1: I think that's an, I think that's a really important point. Um, and it also speaks to what you were saying as well, Tom, just about that being heard, you know, having the space to kind of participate and give feedback, but then knowing that it's reaching, listening ear that it's not just feedback for feedback's sake, because we think that that's important. It's feedback because we're genuine, genuinely interested and kind of genuinely interested in, in what is particularly the younger kind of group of trainees are saying so that we can make concrete changes going forward and think creatively about solutions. Um, I think someone mentioned this earlier today, but there's so much about kind of, um, documenting the problem but actually being willing to think through creative solutions um is is just as if not more important do
0: you think we've got a problem with um trying things out like are we good enough at trying solutions and or yeah because obviously most solutions that people come up with don't work i think that's that's true isn't it that or there's a reluctance to try it out until you've don't know built up enough of a plan or you know got everyone sign off
2: it's tricky isn't it because that was one of the uh, as a general point not specific to general practice maybe a little bit about general practice but um, during the pandemic where there was this sort of freeing up of people to innovate and find solutions to the challenges and that you know you weren't able to go through the usual bureaucratic process because things needed needed to happen at speed and um, people felt kind of able to um be creative but i think also importantly certainly in um england uh, there was a decoupling of some of that activity from financial reward as well so i think people didn't feel pressured to meet um all the other targets that usually take up quite a lot of attention they could actually think about things a bit more freely and address, I guess, local priorities as well. So there's something about that, I think, about what our system incentivizes that I think needs to be um, addressed with that regard. Because I I think, I mean, certainly going to the RCGP conference, but just just from maybe from working at the BMJ and, and having my ear to the ground, you know that there are lots of people out there who are really intelligent, passionate, coming up with ideas um, and solutions. And okay, maybe a lot of them don't work, but we don't really have a kind of agile way for testing those things or generating an evidence base, I, I think. I think there are pockets of activity and there are, there's work happening to try and change that culture, but it's difficult.
1: I also think there's an important point here around <clears throat> kind of individual level changes and structural changes, right? And just to kind of reiterate that distinction. I mean, yes, it's important to be thinking about kind of what's happening to us as individuals and, um, you know, thinking through creatively and having the space to implement some of these solutions that would make a difference in our day-to-day kind of immediately. But that's not to say that there aren't also systemic structural problems to solve. Clearly there are. And we've talked a lot about that in other episodes, but just to, you know, reiterate yeah, that, so right. like, there's only, there's like, it's, it's not, um, it's not a personal responsibility issue, right? It's, it's making things better for ourselves through, you know, genuine listening and feedback and problem solving coupled with a, a longer term solution to so many of the root issues.
0: So that's all we have time for this week. My thanks to all of our interviewees at the RCGP conference. And thanks to you, Navjoit. See you next time.
2: Thank you. See you next time.
0: And see you next time too, Jenny. Thank
1: you. See you next time.
0: We'll be back in a fortnight with a really interesting update about osteoarthritis and how one GP with a, a great interest in MSK conditions treats his patients going into all that self-management bit of the new NICE guidelines on the condition. To hear that, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or those other places you get your podcasts from. If you have a topic you'd like us to tackle, or just want to let us know that you're enjoying the podcast, do drop us an email at practice at bmj.com. I'm Tom Nolan. Bye for now.